You're listening to Maintenance Control, where aviation maintenance professionals come to learn about the latest innovations in our industry. This podcast is brought to you by Aviation Maintenance Magazine, the most read MRO publication in the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Maintenance Control Podcast. This is Joy Finnegan, Editor-in-Chief of Aviation Maintenance Magazine. Today, we're going to discuss the latest DOT Office of the Inspector General report released on February 11, 2020. The report is the result of the research done in response to a hotline complaint from early 2018 regarding the FAA's oversight of Southwest Airlines and operational concerns at that airline. It's notable that this initial complaint came prior to the Southwest flight 1380 uncontained engine failure in April of 2018, in which there was one fatality. The report focuses on several concerns, including the FAA's oversight of the airline, the fact that Southwest continues to fly aircraft with unresolved safety concerns, pervasive inaccuracies in the airline's weight and balance data, and the lack of evaluation of the airline's SMS program. Joining me today is safety expert Jeff Gazzetti. As we highlighted in our last podcast, Jeff retired from an amazing career of public service at the NTSB, the Office of the Inspector General at the DOT, and finally with the FAA. During his 18 years at the NTSB, he served as a field investigator, a go-team airworthiness engineer, and finally as deputy director. Now he is the founder of a safety consultancy called Gazetti Aviation Risk Discovery. Jeff, thanks so much for coming back today to talk about this latest OIG report. Uh, No problem. It's good to be with you, Joy. All right, let's jump right into the report, Jeff. And can you talk to us a little bit about why accurate weight and balance data is so important in aviation operations? Sure. Uh, So we're talking about uh, uh, taking off with a large aircraft with many people on it and a lot of bags. The aerodynamic forces on that aircraft are are key. It was designed to be uh, safe and effective as long as it was loaded properly. So the aerodynamic and forces are balancing out with the, uh, the gravitational forces. So um, there, the manufacturer puts out a program to ensure that there's an, an adequate range for how cargo and people are to be loaded on an airplane. And as long as the operator follows those ranges, the airplane will perform effectively. If those are not respected, or if the, uh, Uh, the weight and balance data is not accurate, well, then that could put the airplane in an unsafe condition. It could be very difficult to handle. Uh, The performance would not be the same performance as advertised in the flight manual, and it could cause the airplane to aerodynamically stall in in a different configuration, could surprise the crew. It would not be a stable or predictable aircraft. So weight and balance is extremely important with regards to the uh, aerodynamic performance of the aircraft, especially during takeoff. Right. So it could lead to the aircraft needing a higher takeoff speed, a longer takeoff run, uh, things like that, which, like you say, could surprise the crew. I think most of the people that are listening to this podcast are going to understand those things, but I did want to just clarify why it's so important. 
Yeah, absolutely. The report says on page six that the FAA relies on the Carrier's Risk Assessment Program, or SMS, this stands for Safety Management Program, rather than requiring compliance. And it says their risk assessment of those weight and balance discrepancies constitutes a low risk. But the truth is, SMS is not a substitute for compliance, correct? That's correct, Joy. That was one of the things that really struck me in this report with regards to the IG finding. Uh, the regulation is, uh, says uh, in the general requirements for an SMS is the SMS must ensure compliance with the relevant regulatory standards in, you know, in chapter one of title 14 of the code of federal regulations, which are the basic regulations. So an SMS cannot be a substitute for complying with the regulatory standards. But obviously, in this case, that's how it was presented to the FAA, and that's how the FAA accepted it. All right. So the baggage loading procedures at Southwest rely on people to manually count the bags, manually load the bags and cargo, and then record those figures where they are loaded in the station on the aircraft, uh, then provide those numbers to the gate agent to be entered into a computer and then transmitted to the pilots. That's a long, complicated procedure. Uh, and one thing we know for sure is that errors are more likely to occur when humans manually enter this data and when there are you know, multiple opportunities for entry errors. So what should the airline be doing to improve this process? Well, the IG outlined what the airline should have been doing. They uh, should have been auditing 25% of its daily flights to determine the frequency of potential violations. Uh, they should be investigating any discrepancy over 300 pounds for the weight and balance, and they needed to continue reporting variances greater than 1,500 pounds through their voluntary disclosure program. And, uh, you know, so the FAA required them to investigate discrepancies of 300 pounds or more, but they did not ensure that the airline fulfilled its requirements to do the things that they agreed to do. And so there was a plan that was laid out but the carrier didn't do all of it, and the FAA didn't insist that it be done. Okay, so in 2018, two full years ago, Southwest filed a voluntary disclosure reporting program report about these weight and balance issues. And although the FAA required action by Southwest, the discrepancies apparently are continuing. Will they be held accountable for those errors and the fact that the errors continue to be an issue? Uh, prob probably not, I hate to say, but I do think that uh, in FAA's defense, and in fact, they, they talk about this in their appended response, you know, they say that these types of errors remain a concern for the uh, FAA and that uh, they've, they did close this weight and balance enforcement case, but they, uh, but but they're still pursuing the same thing as what they, you know, as part of this compliance action, which we talked about a little bit in the previous podcast with regards to the FAA's new compliance program. So they're not going to pursue enforcement, but, but they're going to be monitoring it closely to make sure that the carrier does something. And they also stated that the FAA is going to consider various compliance and enforcement actions uh, to, to ensure that Southwest weight and balance procedures are going to continue to comply with, with the regulations moving out into the future. They do say that in addition to the, the, this compliance action that we just discussed, they did propose a civil penalty against Southwest Airlines in an unrelated case 
regarding empty operating weight. So they, they wanted to say, listen, we're not just turning the other way, uh, but with this particular issue, we're not going to take enforcement action, but we're going to continue to monitor it, and, we, and it's a concern to us. But to answer your question, in this particular case, Troy, no, uh, they're not going to be held accountable with regard to an enforcement action. Okay. The report says the FAA violated its own guidance in addressing noncompliance by the carrier. How did the FAA violate this guidance specifically? Well, they, they did that by continuing to allow the carrier to use this voluntary disclosure program in a manner that it was never meant to be used. The FAA did not adhere to its own guidance on the VDRP program. And FAA inspectors accepted multiple reports from Southwest Airlines, even though the noncompliance had not ceased. They allowed Southwest to submit repetitive events under a single disclosure, which you're not supposed to do. They failed to follow up and ensure that the, uh, that the airline investigated the noncompliances and determined the root cause. And, you know, so they, they did these things when they shouldn't have, when their own guidance said that uh, they should not have permitted Southwest to do this. The IG talked to the FAA principal inspector, and you know he, he said that these actions were acceptable because the airline justified inaccurate weight and balance calculations as low risk. But you know that is not an acceptable answer. And of course, the IG picked up on that, and that was a, that was a major finding. Okay. So the FAA requires airlines to report accurate weight and balance data, but there's no clear definition for accurate, according to the report. How should that be addressed, Jeff? That's a tricky question, Joy, because FAA regulations are kind of designed to allow the applicant to have some leeway. And one could argue that having a definition for every single adjective in all of the regulations is a, is a bit too much. However, there should be some good judicious opinion and rationale for a local FAA inspector to look at an air carrier and say, you know, I think accurate is within 5% or I think accurate is less than 300 pounds for an aircraft of this size. Definitions are needed for a lack of common sense. In this case, I'm not sure whether or not I personally believe there should be a specific definition for accurate. I do think that perhaps there should be some guidance, policy memos, something like that. Okay. All right. One crucial finding from the report says that the FAA failed to follow up and ensure the carrier investigated the noncompliance and determine the root cause of the events. One reason given was if they were this kind of low risk, according to the airline. Isn't that like having the fox watch the hen house? Again, yes and no, uh, not necessarily. Um, this whole system of uh, SMS and of the compliance philosophy puts the onus on the airline to ensure that they're doing the proper uh, analysis. And they know their operation better than the FAA and they should be the one to make the call. However, in this case, the FAA didn't do what it was supposed to do. It, so it, it could certainly be interpreted that you had the fox watching the hen house. The FAA should have deep dived into any data or analysis that justified this as low risk. And you know, if they would have done that then, and, and then signed off on it, 
I would think that would be appropriate. In this case, it doesn't appear that they've done that. They just uh, just blanket accepted what Southwest said without really uh, questioning it or doing a, a, an adequate analysis of it. Another reason given was that handling these actions that way would minimize the administrative burden in the FAA office. The report says that the FAA must ensure their inspectors be trained on the purpose and proper use of the VDRP. But isn't the larger issue unspoken? Doesn't the FAA need more inspectors to deal with the massive amount of work and oversight that needs to be done? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on the inference of your question, Joy. FAA is having a huge problem with recruiting and retaining even their current minimum level of workforce that's needed to conduct this surveillance. In my view, they need a lot more than what they think is the minimum level. It's been a perennial issue with the FAA to not ensure that they have an adequate amount of able-bodied inspectors to conduct surveillance. And now with the job market being so good, even more FAA inspectors are leaving the FAA or it's much more difficult to recruit and retain an FAA inspector. So it's a double whammy for them. But absolutely, the FAA needs more inspectors and and they also need to train them adequately and make sure that they're doing their job efficiently. Another larger scope issue is that there was apparently no root cause analysis done. Why not? Aren't the inspectors supposed to work together with the carrier to make these types of determinations? Why didn't it happen? Because FAA management failed here, I think. They are certainly supposed to ensure root cause analysis is performed. And the uh, the IG wanted to find out the answer to your question. And I think they infer that the inspectors were not properly trained, they were not properly mentored, and they weren't properly supervised. So you can't really just blame the inspectors. You got to blame the system and the management that failed them by not ensuring that they did their job well. Okay. So that kind of concludes my questions about those pervasive weight and balance issues. Let's move on now, Jeff, and let's talk about these other airworthiness issues that continue to be a problem. My first question is, Southwest acquired 88 Ford-registered aircraft, and FAA designees approved those aircraft between 2014 and 2018. But in 2017, the FAA noted serious gaps in the process for verifying the condition of the aircraft. What are some of those gaps? Well, they, uh, the FAA found a lot of uh, undocumented major repairs. So they would see some of these airplanes having some major structural work done, and then they would look in the maintenance records and not see any documentation for it. Additionally, when they did look at records for, for things, uh, they found that the records did not comply with uh, the regulatory standards for maintenance record keeping. So that's just a couple of the things that they found. Why do you think these gaps occurred? Well, again, these DARs, these designated airworthiness representatives, they didn't follow established procedures for ensuring that that these aircraft were going to be conforming to U.S. standards. And they relied too heavily on Southwest Airlines to provide the summary data when they wanted to verify whether or not they, they conformed to those standards. And instead of, again, just like the low risk assessment that we talked about with the weight and balance, Uh, In this case, the FAA just took Southwest Airlines' word without really looking into it closely 
for the justification as to why these airplanes met the standards, what Southwest had to support the fact that these aircraft conformed with these standards. But in fact, Southwest Airlines didn't have the goods. They didn't have enough data to show that. And so the DARs really should not have accepted this without doing a little more digging. And again, most of our listeners are going to know what a DAR is, but can you explain that briefly for some listeners that may not understand what that is? Certainly. So the FAA allows airlines or manufacturers to kind of wear two hats. So you can be an airline employee, but when you, on certain tasks, you can sign off and approve things as if you are the FAA. It's a system that's been in place for decades. And as long as it's controlled, it works just fine. But every now and then, if you have representatives that are working for an airline that isn't doing a good enough job or is unethical, they could sign off on things that do not conform to FAA guidance that an FAA employee would accept. So, uh, but in 98% of the time, a DAR is a, is a trusted agent of the FAA. And in that one capacity of looking at a task and signing off, they're really expected to perform the function as an FAA employee and not thinking about the airline. Okay, perfect. Thanks. Uh, the report goes on to say that 17.2 million passengers were put at risk due to these problems. But but were they really, were they at risk? Were those aircraft unairworthy or was this simply a technicality? Uh, well, the IG has a, has a, a history of, of making a statement like this. It's factually correct. Personally, I don't think these aircraft were unairworthy. I do think technically they were not meeting the standards. The thing about aviation joy is it's, it's risk management. It's managing your risk. So technically by the rule, because of the paperwork, they were quote unquote unairworthy. But in terms of whether or not they were ready to have an accident, I don't think so. I think there were, the, the system allows those types of hazards to be caught. That said, they should have been complying with it. So I'm hedging a bit on your answer. Technically, yes, they were all unairworthy, but in my view, I don't think they were at some heightened risk of having an accident. Okay. The report emphasizes that FAA designees approved 71 of those 88 aircraft the day they were submitted for approval. Is that even possible to do? Can an airline and an FAA designee inspect, review maintenance records, research AD compliance, and complete all the necessary steps? to approve an aircraft in one day? Absolutely not. And this is the other thing that jumped out at me in this report, the fact that all these were approved in the same day when by FAA's own opinion that's, that's documented in this report, it takes three to four weeks per aircraft to do all of the things that, that you cited, looking at the maintenance records, looking at the, the, the crevices of the airplane. And it takes a long time to do it right. And if they did it in two weeks, well, maybe they might have an argument, but man, one day, absolutely not. That's just a, a strong indicator that they just didn't do the job that, that needed to be done. Those aircraft are still flying today, Jeff, uh, even though the FAA inspectors have identified maintenance discrepancies, improper repairs, and untranslated documentation. Why did the FAA agree to allow the airline to continue operating those aircraft for two more years? Because the FAA indicated that they're comfortable doing that. And again, I'm, I'm just reading from their 
appended response that uh, is at the back part of this report. And they say that they're closely monitoring the, the situation and that Southwest Airlines is making progress on completing their repair assessments. And so they think Southwest Airlines is on track for resolving all of these issues. But at the same time, the FAA is investigating the performance of their of their designated airworthiness representatives and they're closely monitoring. So perhaps Southwest made the case that the a draconian grounding of all these airplanes would be a huge financial hardship for the airline and for the for passenger convenience. Here's a case that we're making. We're can you please let us to continue operating these? And the FAA agreed to it. Okay. And then a year ago, so in February 2019, the airline identified even more undocumented and non-conforming repairs on some of those aircraft. Some of the examples cited include improper repairs to vapor barriers and fuselage skin and some others. Who is being held accountable for these worrisome, if not potentially catastrophic errors? Anyone? Well, uh, I would hope that Southwest Airlines is going to be held accountable for the specific people that signed off on those things or allowed those things to happen. The FAA, again, they may not take enforcement action, but they might put them on notice through their compliance program. And, And quite frankly, I think there might be an FAA inspector or manager that that needs to be accountable for allowing those things to happen under their watch. So I think they will be held accountable, but the accountability may not mirror what would actually be deserved in in, uh, muting out whatever penalty is available to the FAA. Okay. The report says that the local inspection office did not communicate these concerns to the FAA office responsible for overseeing the designees. Please explain how that can happen. Well, the report does a great job in explaining it. They indicate that uh, the local inspectors were were simply unaware of the FAA's process providing feedback to the designees uh, oversight officials. And, and those inspectors also lacked access to the system, the FAA's computerized communication system for reporting deficiencies identified after the issue's been identified. So the oversight officials considered the designees involved with these aircraft is, quote unquote, the best we have. And they were unaware of the potential concerns with the aircraft certification. So again, it was a, a breakdown in FAA's process of, in providing good training and mentorship and leadership and supervision to make sure that these inspectors knew how to provide feedback and knew how to use the system's tracking computerized version for uh, for reporting these deficiencies. That didn't happen in this case. Right. And it also reminds me, Jeff, a little bit of some of the issues that we talked about in the Allegiant OIG report as well. Yeah, it, uh, the same issues were involved, Joy. Inadequately trained FAA inspectors and inspectors that simply didn't, weren't even aware of the, the policies that existed to ensure things were properly done. And that is a failure of the inspector's management to, to ensure that these inspectors are fully up and running and trained and ready to go out and do surveillance. Okay, so in the report, it says that the FAA's SMS program office raised concerns Southwest may have devised a process that allows them to potentially bypass assessments by FAA that are required. Uh, What can you say about this? 
With regards to Southwest Airlines bypassing assessments by the FAA, which is required by regulation, again, that shouldn't have happened and that should not be happening. The regulation is the regulation. The FAA should not have allowed that. An SMS program, again, shouldn't be some panacea to be used to say, hey, we're not going to follow the regs because our SMS program allows us to, to short circuit them. That, that is not acceptable. And I think this report and this incident will serve as a, uh, a teaching lesson for all airlines and, and the FAA because SMS is fairly new. It's a fairly new requirement that they're grappling with. So this is a big hole that the IG found. The report states that the FAA inspectors have not assessed the airline's safety culture despite these widespread concerns. Why is the FAA not doing this? Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a lack of communication and coordination. It's because the FAA is so huge and, is, and there's such a bureaucracy and there's so many senior executives and local inspectors and people coming in and out that no one really has a good sense of hard targeting whether or not the safety culture is adequate and what these deficiencies that are being found, why they're not being rolled up into a way to connect the dots to improve the safety culture. Yeah, there's uh, an old Navy saying, I was just going to throw it out there. There's an old Navy saying that when responsibility is shared, no one's responsible. And th to me, it hints of that a little bit here. Is Southwest responsible? Is the FAA responsible? Who, you know, where, where does that responsibility lie? Maybe that's something that could be defined a little better. Absolutely. Now, you know, the SMS does put the onus on the airline to ensure that they're checking themselves and collecting data, but that doesn't leave the FAA off the hook. The FAA is responsible for surveilling the overall system that the airline is using and for validating that the SMS that the airline has is in fact effective. And if that's, you know, if that isn't being done frequently or adequately by the FAA, well then you're gonna wind up with a, uh, a, a safety culture that may be Deficient. Some statements obtained during the OIG investigation from senior level managers and oversight staff indicate that Southwest has a very lax attitude about working with the FAA and providing the requested information. Some examples of that are, quote, the airline uses diversion, distraction, and power to get what they want. Quoting again, if it costs money, they won't do it. Again, another quote. Whatever Southwest puts on paper for us to see never seems to get done the way they wrote it. These are direct quotes from FAA workers about their interactions with Southwest. What are your views on that? I think it's not good. I, you know, the FAA, and I, when I worked at the FAA, I would hear these comments, not just with Southwest, but with other air carriers with regards to the inspectors on the ground or with regards to a certain division within FAA that felt a certain airline wasn't meeting the, their, their obligations or the regulations. It's a problem, Joy. It's a big problem. The FAA is not being effective in providing oversight. These things should not happen. You shouldn't have an air carrier say that, uh, hey, we're not going to do this. Or you shouldn't have an air carrier be allowed to go over an inspector's head to complain about something. But it's happening inside the FAA. And I think, again, it's because not only is the FAA a large bureaucratic operation,
but the airlines have now kind of decentralized and they're kind of spread apart all over the country as opposed to having one main base. So it's difficult for the FAA to ride herd on all of the operations of a particular airline. And then of course, there's the communication problem between those on the front lines that are doing the inspections and those at FAA headquarters that are dealing with their own set of priorities. But in the end, the FAA is gonna have to grapple with this. And that's why I think this report is so impactful uh, because Southwest Airlines is allowed to get away with these things when they should not be. And that doesn't set a very good example for the rest of the industry. These recommendations that the FAA has, have made, I think are, are right on point. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit. The FAA's compliance program, which we, again, talked about in the last podcast about Allegiant Airlines and that Inspector General report, it's supposed to offer a new strategy for working with air carriers to address safety risks. This report says, given the significant unresolved safety concerns that FAA has identified at Southwest Airlines, it's clear the agency has not yet effectively navigated the balance between industry collaboration and managing safety risks at the carrier. What are some things you think the FAA should do to improve this balance? And do you agree with the recommendations that have been given, or is there more that can or needs to be done? I agree with all three of those things. I agree that, that the recommendations are on point, but I also believe that there needs to be more recommendations, more needs to be done. I think some of the things that the FAA should do to improve its balance are contained in these 11 recommendations. And I also think that the FAA needs to just take a different tack and get out of this paradigm about, hey, it's a new day with compliance and not enforcement. I think they still need to be the enforcer. And they have slacked off on enforcing way too much. And so they need to add balance by conducting more enforcement cases and not just chalking it all up to compliance philosophy or the compliance program. Additionally, training is key. Some of these recommendations address training, Joy, but I was disappointed to see the FAA's response with, even though the FAA concurred with all of these recommendations, some of them, you know, they're saying it'll be done seven months from now. In fact, there's uh, like seven of the 11, they said, yeah, we're working on it. We'll get it done in sometime by the end of the fiscal year. Well, it seems to me that the FAA could, could do it much more quickly than that. Seven months is a long time for some of these recommendations, like ensuring that the airline complies with regulatory requirements for weight and balance, or another recommendation to develop a management control to ensure that DARs verify the completeness and accuracy. You know, why does it take seven months to do that? And then one recommendation here, which is, I think, one of the most important recommendations is recommendation number 10 by the IG to develop and implement guidance on how to evaluate air carrier safety risk assessments to ensure the air carrier has performed a comprehensive analysis, identified root cause, and established a, a corrective actions. The FAA says, yeah, we're, we're, we're working that, and hopefully in a year and a half, it'll be done. Why does it take a year and a half to develop guidance? So right. I just think the FAA needs to, to work more quickly, more efficiently, and they need to be a bit tougher so that this pervasive lax oversight doesn't continue. Okay. I do want to just add that in spite of these problems, Southwest is it's a profitable airline. 
They are number 11 on Fortune's most admired companies to work for, and they've achieved a coveted number one ranking in the J.D. Power Customer Satisfaction Survey for Airline Travels. So those are important things to note. People do love this airline, but that doesn't excuse issues or problems that this report has highlighted. Southwest did release a statement shortly after this report was released. It says in that statement that we are considered one of the world's most admired companies and uphold an unprecedented safety record. As part of our safety culture, we have a transparent relationship with the FAA, which includes an FAA-approved safety management system, as we've talked about here, uh, designed to manage and mitigate operational risks and execute safe operating programs and practices. It also goes on to say that our friends, our families, board our aircraft, and not a single one of us would put anything above their safety. This mission unites us all. So I did want to at least give uh, Southwest those uh, recognitions and comment there. So, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about, Jeff, that I do want to see if you can address a little bit, and that is this idea of the normalcy of deviance. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that means and how that might be impacting what's going on here at Southwest? Sure. And it also kind of dovetails into a comment I wanted to make about Southwest Airlines in terms of their safety record. They do have a very impressive safety record. When you look at those statistics, they are pretty safe. However, there's a whole laundry list of airlines that were considered very safe and didn't have many accidents up until the time they had a major accident. And during that investigation, they would find all these indicators that didn't lead to an accident, but but could have. So I think Southwest is defending itself. I think that's great. They are a, a well-respected airline and people like to fly them, but that doesn't mean that they should continue to allow a normalization of deviation, a slow eroding of their inability to comply with the strict safety standards. And as an organization, if they continue to tolerate that for missing the little things, well, then the organization will tend to get into the habit of, uh, of always missing the little things and then start to miss the big things. And that's when you get into trouble. So you really have to be uh, attentive to all of the details that come together to make an organization safe. And normalization of deviance is a uh, insidious problem that can affect any air carrier if it's allowed to progress. And eventually, it'll eat the air carrier like a cancer and lead to a lot of bad things. And, you know, that you're seeing some indicators of that with Southwest Airlines with certain incidents that have occurred over the, the past couple of years. The IG report even talks about it with a, a serious incident in February 2019 that resulted in both wings of a 737 being damaged after impacting the runway at Bradley International Airport. There was a uh, an incident in Burbank, California, where an airplane ran off the end of the runway, just like it did like 20 years ago, and the NTSB is investigating that. So these little things that are continuing to be allowed to occur, if they're not stopped, if that normalization isn't stopped, it can lead to an accident. Right. And the, the thing that uh, really got me about the normalization of deviance issue is that, you know, the report does say the FAA allowed Southwest to continue to just report these latent balance issues. So they would have an overage 
they would report it. Another overage, just file a report, just file a report. And so to me, that's a classic example of the normalization of deviance. That's right. It's just getting into this routine uh, habit of just writing things down and not really doing anything about it. Exactly. Uh, not finding that root cause. Right. Perfect. All right, Jeff. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to us about this OIG report. It is fascinating. Uh, I think there is so much to be learned from this, not only for the airline, but also for the FAA and for anyone out there working in the airline industry today. Uh, it was good to be with you, and I'm looking forward to more IG reports. That's the reason the IG exists, is to, to help the FAA improve itself and to help the aviation industry become safer. Thank you so much, and look forward to also beginning our podcast series on accidents with a maintenance factor uh, as one of the causal factors. So we'll be beginning that shortly. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to the Maintenance Control Podcast, a production of Aviation Maintenance Magazine, the most read MRO publication in the world. Subscribe at www.avm-mag.com. <laughs>